ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೌಘುನಕ್ತು ಸಹವೀರ್ಯಂಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಿದ್ವಿಷಾವಹೈ ಓಂ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 let us see the verse number uh, 14 on the page 9 annad bhavanti bhutani parjanyadanna sambhavah yajnyad bhavati parjanyah ಯಜ್ಞ ಕರ್ಮ ಸಮುದ್ಭವ ಅನ್ನಾಧ್ಭವಂತಿ ಭೂತಾನಿ ಆಲ್ ದಿ ಭೂತಾನಿ ಲಿವಿಂಗ್ ಬೀಂಗ್ ಆರ್ ಬಾರ್ನ್ ಆಫ್ ಫೂಡ್ ಪರ್ಜನ್ಯಾದ್ ಅನ್ನಸಂಭವ ದ ಫೂಡ್ ಈಸ್ ದ ರಿಸಲ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಪರ್ಜನ್ಯಾದ್ ರೈನ್ ಯಜ್ಞಾಧ್ಭವತಿ ಪರ್ಜನ್ಯ ಲಾರ್ಡ್ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಸೇ ದ ರೈನ್ ಈಸ್ ಔಟ್ಕಮ್ ಆಫ್ ಯಜ್ಞ yajna of course means a sacrificial ritual but here the word yajna is in the sense of the result of such a ritual so whenever you perform any action in the spirit of yajna or offering it produces punya or virtue so yajna here means virtue or punya therefore yajna bhodi parjanya parjanya the rain is the result of this punya ಯಜ್ಞ ಕರ್ಮ ಸಮುದ್ಭವ ದಿಸ್ ಪುಣ್ಯ ಹೌ ಡು ಗೆಟ್ ದಟ್ ಪುಣ್ಯ ಕರ್ಮ ಸಮುದ್ಭವ ವೆನ್ ಎವರ್ ಕರ್ಮ ಇಸ್ ಪರ್ಫಾರ್ಮ್ ವೆನ್ ಎವರ್ ಡ್ಯೂಟಿ ಇಸ್ ಪರ್ಫಾರ್ಮ್ ವೆನ್ ಎವರ್ ಅನ್ ಆಕ್ಷನ್ ಇಸ್ ಪರ್ಫಾರ್ಮ್ ಆನ್ ದ ಬೇಸಿಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಧರ್ಮ ಆರ್ ಯಜ್ಞ ಯರ್ ಕರ್ಮ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ಅನ್ ಆಕ್ಷನ್ ಪರ್ಫಾರ್ಮ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಸ್ಪಿರಿಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಆಫರಿಂಗ್ ಅನ್ ಆಕ್ಷನ್ ಪರ್ಫಾರ್ಮ್ ದ ಸ್ಪಿರಿಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಕಾಂಟ್ರಿಬ್ಯೂಷನ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಆಕ್ಷನ್ ಸಚ್ ಇಸ್ ದಟ್ ಪುಣ್ಯ ಇಸ್ ಪ್ರೊಡ್ಯೂಸ್ಡ್ ಸೊ ದಟ್ ಟೂ ಕೈಂಡ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಪುಣ್ಯ same rituals may perform if you even even worship is also performed with a desire for some personal reward then that will be the outcome of that ritual or outcome of that worship or a religious action a religious action or any action can perform with a desire for fulfilling a personal need because sakama karma a karma perform as prompted by kama or desire however the same action is performed without any personal motivation meaning that without the motivation for ego gratification or sense gratification or self gratification when a person does not want any personal benefit from that action is performed as he is offering it is my pleasure to perform this act why is it my pleasure because i feel privileged that i am in a position to do something see only human being can do that no other living being can do that no other living being has the privilege of performing a deliberate action the human being has the freedom to perform the deliberate action and for performing an action properly also we require various resources first of all you require an opportunity suppose you did the cleaning of work you know swami we cleaned up the whole homa building and you know wonderful when can i do that's the act of offering because nobody is going to give any kind of certificate or reward or anything most people would not even know such a thing is done you do it out of happiness it's a privilege that i can do this work this place needs to be cleaned i happen to be in a position where i can do that i have the skills to do that so that we possess skills knowledge opportunity all of these are involved in performing any action 
it is not easy even to serve somebody, really. When you go out in a place like, country like India, to help people, you find that it is not easy at all to help people. Because people have their own kind of agenda, or they have their own suspicions, own kind of politics is going on everywhere, in the villages also. That's what we discovered. So if you, that you need skills. You should be a skillful person even to help somebody. You should know what that person needs and how to help without creating a sense of obligation because a person may not want to be obliged, may not want to feel that he is being helped. So you require a certain skill, certain knack, and of course the skill of doing things. And the resources to do, of course, that you have the resources, you have the skill, you have the opportunity, and you have also the desire to do that. Everything you may have, but then you may still not do anything, because the desire to give is not there. That all of these things I possess a great privilege, not an ordinary thing. Thus, if I do something out of my pleasure, if I recognize how much privileged I am, how many privileges I am enjoying, just by being what I am, I need not compare myself with somebody else. I need not become as Puja Swami, I need not become somebody else. I am alright as I am, and Ishwara has given me whatever He has given me. Everybody possesses some uniqueness, and that it is my privilege to make an offering, a small offering. Everybody is not like sun who can illumine the whole world. The moon illumines in a limited way. The stars illumine even in a limited way. A little lamp illumines in a own limited way. Doesn't matter, illumination is important. Even if you are a small lamp, you need not feel bad that you are not sun. That you have the privilege to dispel darkness even in a small area is a privilege. Thus, that is how if we look upon ourselves, then we will have really respect for ourselves, a sense of dignity for ourselves. If I keep on comparing myself with others, I always feel a sense of lack or inadequacy because I am not what somebody else is and I don't have what somebody else has. <coughs> Instead, I can also appreciate what I have. Of course, what I don't have is countless, infinite. I have, what I have is a little, but I have it. And it is my privilege to offer that. So when an action is performed this way, that also generates punya. But what does that punya do? That punya, the virtue that is generated, removes the papa, removes the likes and dislikes. So we, what we want is the duritakshaya. Those of you who are familiar with sankalpa, so, for elimination of all the durita or the papas I have accumulated in the past, which today come in my way because they manifest as likes and dislikes and various impulses, and they control my mind. So the mind is not even available to me for what I want to do, and this inner enemies is what I want to get rid of. For that this special kind of punya is required. Merely being a religious person is not enough to overcome likes and dislikes. You have to be a spiritual person. Who is a spiritual person? The person who performs action in the spirit of offering. <coughs> That's what brings the word self-growth. Yajna karma samudvaha. That yajna or that punya is the result of this karma or action performed in a selfless way. <coughs> Where do you get this knowledge about karma? The next verse tells us that. Karma Brahma Bhavam Vidhi Brahma Akshara Samud Bhavam Tasmat Sarvagatam Brahma Nityam yajne pratishthitam. Karma brahma udbhavam. Brahma udbhavaha. 
Yasitat Brahmodbhavam. Here our Brahma means Veda. Word Brahma has various meanings. Brahma also can mean a Brahmana. Brahma can mean Brahma the creator. Brahma can mean Param Brahma. And Brahma also can mean Veda. So of the five Mahayagnas we are required to perform, one is the Brahma Yagna. Meaning the Yagna means recital and studying and teaching Veda. That also Brahma means Veda. So Brahmana section, you know. So Brahmana section also is that which in fact expands and explains the mantras which are found in the Samhita portion. Here Brahma means Veda. Karma Brahmodbhama Vidhi. This knowledge, this whole idea of yajna is a unique thing. About the Vedic culture, the yajna is a very unique thing. And even the, the Vedas prescribe the duties to us. Everybody has a duty performing a role according to the script. The idea of duty also is the idea of Vedas. Therefore, the Vedic society is duty-based and not right-based. Based on duty. The very idea of duty involves offering. When you perform your duty towards somebody, such as your parents, such as your children, such as your spouse, such as anybody, it involves offering to them because their need is more important than your need. And therefore, you are willing to set aside your need in order to fulfill their need. This is called duty. So this idea of duty, idea of dharma, idea of yajna, there were the various duties that the Vedas prescribe or, or enjoin upon a human being. All of them have the spirit of this yajna or offering. Karma brahmod bhavam vidhi. Here you can understand that this karma, that action, the duty or yajna that produces that kind of punya has its source in brahma. Veda, Veda is the pramanam for this yajna. <coughs> so here traditionally it would also mean that you must perform the, the duties and the actions enjoined by the Veda, by the scriptures. <coughs> All right, so what? Suppose Vedas tell us to do so what? Then, because Vedas are pramanam, we look upon Veda as a valid means of knowledge. Why, why should Vedas be looked upon as valid means of knowledge? Why look upon words of Veda as authentic, as something that you can depend upon? Something you can take without any questioning or doubt. So it is said here, Brahma Akshara Samudbhavam, Brahma Akshara Samudbhavam. The Veda, then again Samudbhavam. <coughs> Same thing, Aksharam here means immutable. Imperishable means Paramatma or Param Brahma. That the Vedas are have a Samudbhava. Vedas have their origin in Paramatma. Upanishad says, Asya Mahato Bhutasya Nishwasitam Yadayadat Rugvedam Yugvedah Yajurvedah Samvedah Atharvangirasah. Upanishad says that these Vedas are like the outbreath of Ishvara. Nishvasitam, the out-breathing out. Some breathing out is effortless. No effort has to be made on my part to breathe out. No effort is involved. No deliberation is involved. It's an effortless thing. Similarly also, Vedas are, the, they are revealed by Ishvara, given out by Ishvara, with no forethought or anything. It's a natural manifestation or expression of Ishwara. <coughs> so this is our belief. This is a matter of Shraddha. <laughs> because that Vedas are Ishwara Prokta, revealed by Ishwara, is a matter of Shraddha. <coughs> you can always question that, you know. But uh, because as our Swami says, everybody claims that their scriptures are all revealed by Ishwara. It's true. We are willing to accept the scriptures as revealed by Ishwara and accept them as authentic also. Provided they do not violate the reason. says, if you say something which is not in keeping with reason, we cannot accept it. Whatever Upanishads say, when it say you are Brahman, it does not violate reason. 
When he says, what is Ishvara? It does not violate reason. Maybe we may have to apply appropriate reasoning to understand those statements. But whatever the Vedas say, that is a wonderful thing, really. One thing about Vedanta is that Vedanta has no problem with science. Because whatever Vedanta teaches us about the self, about truths, about the realities, Vedanta basically addresses the realities. Three, four, three entities are there in our life. Jiva, Jagat and Ishvara, the individual, the universe in front of me, Ishvara, the creator. So basically Vedanta reveals the realities about this three. And the relationship between these three, the relationship is that they are one. So science actually has all proven this. That this diverse, the world of matter, which has this diversity and disparity, all of that is manifestation of one energy. So the idea of principle of unity and diversity, which is what the Vedas reveal, has been has been proven by scientists. Brahma Satyam Jagad Mithya. That Jagad of creation is Mithya. Is unreal. Is exact words that are used by the scientists. As Einstein used, used to say, that this universe of three dimensions is a projection of a reality which is a higher dimension. Projection is real. That's a word that is used. Just to give an example, suppose we had the, suppose our eyes could only see two dimensions, not three dimensions, suppose you could not see depth. Then you only can see the length and width, that's all. And then you have to, you may think that that is all there is, but in fact there is a third dimension, depth that you don't see, and what you see are like the, like, like the projections upon a, a wall, which only shows what two dimensions. So this three-dimensional world is a projection of reality which has a higher dimension. Projection is, that is called Mithya. Mithya means that which does not have an independent reality. This is what Vedanta has said all along. Don't worry about the process of creation, meaning that what is the order of creation? That is not important, the reality of creation. What Vedanta is teaching us is exactly what the scientists is proving. So we have no problem with science and there is no other theology which has no problem with science. Anyway, why I am saying all this is to make a point that Vedanta is dependable. That when it is said that it is revealed Vedanta Krut Veda Chaham as Lord Krishna says in the 15th chapter of Gita Vedai Sarvai Ahameva Vedya Vedanta Krut, Veda Vedeva Chaham. I am the one to be known through all the Vedas, all the scriptures. Vedanta, I am the revealer of the scriptures. I have revealed the scriptures. I am the one to be known through the scriptures. And one who knows me also is I. Revealing the oneness. So, Brahma, Brahma Akshara Samudbhavam. Akshara, Akshara, Akshara means Paramatma. Aksharat Paramatmana Paramatmana Samudbhava Yasya <coughs> Tat Akshara Samudbhavam That which has this Samudbhava Which has this Avirbhava Which has this manifestation of Paramatma is called Akshara Samudbhavam <coughs> This is said also because there are so many scriptures In India also That they are called you know This is the Pakhanda Pratipadidam Many people write scriptures and there are followers also. But then anything that is composed by human being always suffers from various limitations. Because the knowledge that human being has is limited. Limited by various things. One is called Brahma. You may take what is wrong to be right. That's one thing. Pramada. You may think that everything is okay. You know, Pramada means that you do use do something other than what is to be done. Karana Apatava. 
the, the, the means of knowledge that we have, the organs of perception and mind, all of these are imperfect. Eyes can see color all right, only within certain range of, you know, wavelength. Ears also can hear the sound again within certain waves. So they're all imperfect. So knowledge that is derived from the organs of perception and mind is going to be imperfect because these instruments are imperfect. And human being also sometimes deludes himself in thinking that, yes, I know everything, that's why I know everything. All of these kinds of deficiencies are there in the human mind. That's the reason why we cannot consider what is composed or written by a human being as ultimate. We can only look upon what is revealed by Ishwara as ultimate because Ishwara is omniscient. He is free from all these defects. Brahma Akshara Samudbhavam Tasmat Sarvagatam Brahma Nityam Yajne Pratishtitam That being the case, Arjuna, this Yajna which is revealed by Vedas. Vedas are revealed by Paramatma and Yajna is revealed by the Vedas. Therefore, it is Pramanam. Meaning that you can depend upon this and you can live your life based on the teaching of Vedas. You see, after all, living life, a spiritual life, a life of, let us say, contribution, a life of offering, when would you be ready to undertake a life Because it involves constantly offering and sacrifice of one's own self. When would you be willing to do that? Only when you are sure that, that this is, the, the outcome will be what the scriptures promise. <clears throat> that will bring about antahakana shuddhi, purification of mind, bring about in you a desire for knowledge, a love for knowledge, and then it will result into knowledge, result into moksha. So all of this scheme is revealed by Vedanta. And when you take this without any kind of resistance or any kind of doubt or questioning, then alone you can actually uh, wholeheartedly devote yourself to this pursuit. That is why the authenticity of scripture is extremely important. That's what Shankaracharya discusses right in the introduction of Bhagavad Gita. That who is the uh, who is the teacher? Who is the one who has taught the Bhagavad Gita? Is Lord Krishna. Who is Lord Krishna? None other than Lord Narayana. Who is Lord Narayana? The creator of the universe. So God himself is the teacher here. That is what makes also Bhagavad Gita an authentic text. Otherwise, we look upon only as Veda is authentic. But then, Bhagavad Gita also is revealed by the same one who is revealed the Vedas. <coughs> Tasmat, second line says, Tasmat Sarvagatam Brahma Nityam Yajne Pratishthitam Therefore, Brahma or Veda is Sarvagatam Sarvartha Prakashakam Vedas reveal the meaning of everything that we need to know. Nityam Yajne Pratishthitam The Veda has its basis in Yajna. Meaning, Veda has its Tatparya. The Karmakanda section of Veda has its Tatparya, the purport in Yajna or prescribing or stipulating yajna to the human being as an engine, as a means of his self-growth. <clears throat> In this manner, Lord Krishna has shown here how the cosmic wheel is set in motion. And next verse then tells us, <clears throat> if you follow this wheel, if you live a life which is in harmony with this order, then of course, there is antahakana shuddhi, purification of mind, as you said, leading to knowledge. On the other hand, if somebody can say that I don't care for this kind of spiritual life, I don't care for yajna, what's the problem? I can live the life the way I want to live. I need not follow the values. I need not follow the order. What will happen? So that is called the Vyatireka. What will happen if you do not follow? That should be reward in following the injunction and punishment in violating injunction also. 
means there's no reward in, when you comply with the law and punishment when you violate the law. So what's the punishment to violate this law or the wheel or the order that is set in motion that is said in the verse 16. Evam pravartitam chakram Nānu vartayati hayaha Aghāyurindriyā rāmaha Mogham pārthasa jīvate Evam pravartitam chakram This cosmic wheel that has been set in motion. So what's the cosmic wheel? Start with Paramatma from Ishwara. Ishwara has revealed the Vedas, the scriptures for us. The Vedas reveal the principle of yajna or the sacrifice. That yajna is enjoined upon all human beings. That way human beings perform karma or action in keeping with the spirit of yajna or offering. That brings about the punya. That brings about the adrushta, punya, the virtue. That brings about the rain, that brings about the food, that brings about the life. And as human being again, you perform this yajna and create the punya, again the rain, again the food, again the life. This is the chakram, this is the wheel that has been set in motion. And as we say in the morning, how every element of universe functions in the spirit of yajna. There is no selfishness anywhere in the nature. There is only offering everywhere in the nature. The sun illumines the, the earth again for no reason at all. It is just his offering. Earth supports all the living beings again. It's offering. The water quenches our thirst again it's offering. The fire gives us warmth, cooks our food, it's offering. Air sustains our life, it's offering. Space gives us accommodation, it's offering. Even the rain or the clouds sacrifice themselves, then only rain is possible. The water sacrifices itself and turns into the, the sap of the vegetables, that's how the plants and vegetables are possible. They again sacrifice themselves to become our food. The food sacrifices itself in our stomach to become the energy. And that's how life is possible. So we can see how at every stage this sacrifice is going on. <coughs> the Upanishad also describes the sacrifice. The cosmic wheel. Mandaka Upanishad, even the Purusha Sutta, all of these describe the cosmic sacrifice that is going on. Even Prabhartidam Chakram. Here, you know, in this manner, this wheel of cosmic sacrifice has been set in the motion by me. As far as other living beings are concerned, they are so programmed that automatically you follow this wheel and therefore they never violate. They never, see, every, all violations are all on account of human beings. All ecological violations, all of whether it is uh, ozone, you know, what a ozone what a hole or it is global warming or pollution, whatever it is. It's all done by human being because it is greed. Since human being is capable of abusing his free will, therefore it is important that we wisely use our freedom because only when we make right choices that we help ourselves, we grow and become happy. If on the other hand, we make wrong choices, we hurt ourselves, invite unhappiness for ourselves. This morning we said that happiness simply depends upon the state of the mind. And state of the mind is the product of what kind of attitudes I have, what values do I have, what attitudes do I have, what priorities do I have, that determines the state of mind. And that determines the level of my happiness or unhappiness. So this teaching is very simple. This teaching is to help us live happily, that's all. In the in very practical sense. Evam pravartam chakram. 
Here, Arjuna, this wheel of cosmic sacrifice has been set in motion by me to bless the human beings. Na anuvartayati However, there is somebody who does not follow this, who violates this cosmic wheel, meaning that who does not follow this law of self-offering. He is not a giver, but he remains a grammar. Not a contributor, but a consumer. Who will do this? In the next line there is this word, Indriya Ramaha. Indriya Arama. Indriyeshu Aramatiti Indriya Ramaha. The one who always revels in sense pleasures. So person who is only, whose intention is only for sense gratification, or self-gratification. The person who lives life only for gratification. Whatever desires arise in the mind, satisfy them. Not realizing that satisfying desires is never a means of becoming free from desires. More I satisfy desires, stronger the desires become. Like pouring butter in the fire, how the fire becomes more demanding, so also, more desires are satisfied, the mind becomes more and more demanding. I become a slave of the desires. A day comes when I am compelled to violate values. A person who is only committed to or given to fulfilling the urges of the senses and urges of the mind, if the person sees success in that, then a time comes when he is compelled to violate the values. Compelled to actually follow dharma, violate this order, and thus invite sorrow or unhappiness to himself. So, because of Indriya Rama, the person who lives unintelligently does not realize the trick that the mind is playing, does not realize the desires are products of ignorance, that fulfilling desires is not the way of becoming free from desires. That growing out of desire is a way to become free from desire. That whenever I look upon the outside world to give me happiness, I, I lend myself and I become vulnerable. I become manipulated because I have delivered myself at the mercy of the world to make me happy. There is unpredictability, lot of disappointment. A person who does not think, Indriya Ramaha, all he can think is what kind of desires he has, desires for gratification of senses, desire for gratification of emotions, gratification of ego, that's all he understands. <clears throat> and that person is going to be always a, con- is a consumer. So Indriya Ramaha is a classical consumer who keeps on consuming, who keeps on grabbing who keeps on accumulating, aggrandizing. And he sees success in that kind of a thing. Lord Krishna says, Agayuhu, his life is... Ayus means life. Aga means sin. The sinful person living in, you know, life of sin. Mogam partha sajivati. He partha. Sah mogam jivati. His life is in vain. <coughs> Swamiji, what do you mean his life is in vain? He's a multi-millionaire. He's such a well-known person. He enjoys so much control over others. Why do you think that his life is in vain? Life, success in life is to be measured by what? Success in life is to be measured by how much satisfaction I gain in the life. How much satisfaction I have with myself. How comfortable I am with myself. How happy or accepting I am of myself. If I have constantly conflict with my own self, I don't like myself, I always try to avoid myself, run away from myself, and just keep myself busy in all kinds of escape distractions. What kind of success is that? What kind of uh, satisfaction there is? So people have wrong idea of what is success. Because the world seems to only recognize 
the success in form of artha and kama. Whoever has artha, wealth, etc., kama, pleasures, the world, they are the heroes in this world. And naturally, therefore, everybody also aspires for those kind of things. Which is very unfortunate. The values that the world has chosen as a means of success are wrong values. And what we are doing is for more Martha Kama. So the people also, even the, the, the ruler, leaders also, think that they are successful, more Artha and Kama they can provide to people, more successful they are. But at what cost? It comes at a great cost in terms of inner conflicts, in terms of inner, you know, inner dissatisfaction, inner restlessness, inner discomfort. There's no way to measure that cost because it doesn't, it doesn't show up in bottom line, you know. So these things, these are subjective. Meaning there's nothing wrong in having wealth, etc. But if the wealth is by way of consumption, by way of selfishness, by way of fulfilling my greed, then that only leads to inner conflicts. Wealth is fine. If it, in fact, a person can become wealthy even by a living life of offering. Because that's what Lord Krishna said. That it invites reign of prosperity. Maybe it's a, it may take a little longer time for you to be an honest person, to be a, 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 a contributor. May take a longer time to become prosperous perhaps. But that prosperity is a blessing. And you don't even, even if that prosperity does not come, it doesn't matter to you. Because ultimately, prosperity also is meant for happiness. And if that very act of offering gives you happiness, what do you want? And I said, even a small act of kindness that you perform gives you inner satisfaction. Because you know that you have done something right. If you were in the position of that person, you would have expected this kind behavior. So when I display that kindness towards somebody, I know that I am doing something which is right, which is in keeping with the orders set into motion. And therefore, in, I know intrinsically that this is right, it gives me satisfaction. Even though it may involve some discomfort or pain or whatever in my exertion on my part, it gives me satisfaction. Everybody's experience. So, the other day children were asking, you know, um, how to become happy? I said, well, there are two ways of becoming happy. One way is by, by eating, other way is by feeding. So then I asked the child, how do you feel that you have something with you and there is somebody is hungry and you don't share with that person? How do you feel? Terrible, he says. On the other hand, uh, somebody is in need and you share with How do you feel? So good? So I said, there are two ways of getting happiness. One is a happiness that binds you. Other is happiness that frees you. So happiness that comes by making somebody else happy is a freeing happiness, is a lasting happiness. Happiness that comes by consuming, by grabbing, is a happiness that is only momentary. And it only demands more and more. <clears throat> this equation, if you understand, then it will be possible for us to live the life of yajna. Tadartam karma kaundhe kaundhe perform action in the spirit of yajna. <clears throat> and so here, Lord Krishna said, one does not follow the order, which means values also. Non-violence, compassion as we are told, is a value. Non-violence is a value. Truthfulness is a value. The whole universe is truthful. Except for human being, there is no pretentiousness, there is no dishonesty, there is no uh, falsehood anywhere. Only human being requires clothes first of all. You know, nobody else requires. I have to cover myself to cover, you know, all my defects or shortcomings so that I look different from what I really am. Showing myself different from what I am is my need, unfortunately. A camel doesn't have that kind of a need. It is said camel has all these limbs which are crooked. So we think that it's a very ugly animal. Whatever definition of beauty we may have. By that, camel doesn't feel that at all. He doesn't go to a, a, a plastic surgeon to remove his hump or something like that. There's no need. 
Even a horn is broken, a cow or a buffalo, doesn't have to go to a surgeon and repair it. It's okay. No such complexes. We don't have those complexes or that self-conscious. There's no need, you know, there's no need to pretend to be different from what you are. Nobody pretends. A cat remains as cat. So you can predict how a cat will behave. You can never predict how a human being will behave. When you're driving in the street, you know if there is an animal, you know how the animal will behave. But if a pedestrian is crossing, you can never predict how that fellow will behave. Because I have the freedom to violate. Other people do not have that freedom. So they automatically follow, they are programmed to follow the order. And because we are given free will, it becomes our responsibility to follow the order. The freedom always comes with responsibility. Freedom without responsibility becomes, becomes license. And it becomes, you know, it's not a, then, it's not really an asset, becomes a liability. It's not a blessing, it becomes a curse. So how to make our life a blessing? That's all Lord Krishna is teaching here. <clears throat> so the 16th was told as the consequences of a person who violates the order. That his life is in vain. The purpose for which he was born. There's a purpose. There is an agenda with which we are born. What is the agenda? Moksha is our agenda. Really? Everybody loves freedom. Everybody loves happiness. And I don't want, I want that my happiness be unconditional. I don't want happiness with conditions. The Swami sit here, then you'll be happy. Swami, you talk like this, then you'll be free. I don't want those conditions. I want to be happy without conditions. Not only I want happiness, I want unconditional happiness. Freedom, unconditional freedom. Condition means there is no freedom. You are free as long as you are in this hall. But that is no freedom. What is freedom is to be where I want to be. So every human being wants, every living being, but then other beings are what they are, every human being wants unconditional freedom, unconditional happiness. That's called moksha. And we, each one of us is born with that agenda. So why is the rebirth? If you depart from this body without fulfilling the agenda, you will be born again to fulfill that agenda. And so, we do not insist that you should be liberated in this life. That would be wonderful. But at least our life should become a process of a journey towards moksha. Our life should become a process that is a journey towards moksha. Whether the end is achieved or not, okay, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter means we can live with that. Because when you started the journey of the right path, you will definitely reach that. As Lord Krishna says, Nahi kalyana kutkasit durgatim tatakachati. Here you know, one who is in the right path, he will never suffer a fall. He will always continue to progress. Thus, setting ourselves on the path of progress. Self-growth, inner growth. <clears throat> On the other hand, when a per- that's a lost opportunity when a person does not do that. Mogam partha sajivahe partha, he lives in vain. <clears throat> All right, Lord Krishna, suppose I live the life of yajna, I do what you are all telling me, what will be the outcome? There is an image, there is what we call drastafala, Drashtafalam adrashtafalam. An immediate result and a result in future. When you perform an action with the desire of a swarga, you will get it. Someday. When you perform an action as an offering, you get the outcome right away. What's the result? Self-satisfaction. And in order for me to perform an action in the spirit of offering, my natural instinct of grabbing has to be subdued. Because my natural instinct is to grab. In every situation my mind only asks this one question, what is in it for me? How can I take advantage of every situation? That's my usual tendency arising from ignorance and insecurity. And if you allow that tendency to, you know, if you support that tendency, it will perpetuate. 
in order for me to live life of offering, that tendency of grabbing has to be subdued. So you know what this process will do? I progressively subdue the tendency to grab. I subdue my tendency for greed. I subdue my tendency to exploit somebody. I subdue my tendency to violate the values. Those tendencies have to be subdued for me to follow the value. I mean, when you're driving on the road, for example, it's just 55 miles an hour. Now, who wants to drive 55 miles? So, I mean, the road is open. Who wants to drive 55 miles an hour? You want a 60, 65, 70, 70, who would not want? But suppose you want to remain a law-abiding citizen, then you drive at the cruise control, 55 miles an hour. When can you do that? When you subdue your, in, your impulse of driving at 75, because it's so exciting, so thrilling, so I mean, You have to subdue that impulse of getting the thrill, which comes by violating the order. So following order requires us to subdue the tendency to violate the order. All this tendency to violation is the result of ignorance. So we are in fact giving up ignorance all along. How karma yoga is also compatible to path of knowledge because by performing karma or action in the spirit, I am subduing my likes and dislikes. And likes and dislikes are the grossest product of ignorance. So giving up likes and dislikes give you ignorance, understand? Chipping away from the stone and slowly bringing to manifestation that beautiful image. So thus, this process of yajna creates inner satisfaction, inner purification. And therefore, I discover progressively more and more happiness from myself. This is the immediate outcome. You can yourself be the witness of that. Whether this thing is right or not, you can verify yourself. Whether an act of helping somebody who is needy, whether it creates new satisfaction or you, you watch it for yourself. When a hungry person is fed and you see the satisfaction on the, on the face of the person, does it, if it, doesn't it satisfy you? It will. So thus, a life based on yajna is a life which is a life of removing impurities in terms of likes and dislikes and bringing about purification of mind. Purer the mind is, happier the mind is. Like a body of water, as you remove the dirt from that water, it becomes clean and transparent. You can see the bottom clearly. And so also, as the mind becomes clearer and more and more transparent, you can see the self, which is the bottom. Nature of the nature of ananda. Just you keep experiencing ananda. No separate thing need to be done to experience happiness. This is it. And where what will it culminate into? Culminate into total self-acceptance. Moksha. What is moksha? Total self-acceptance. Meaning unconditional happiness. Because that's the nature of self. Self is ananda, meaning unconditional happiness. And that's what you gain as a result of this living life of yajna. So next two verses describe this the person, the wise person, who has gained this moksha as a result of living the life of karma yoga, performing karma in the spirit of yajna. <coughs> this is what Lord Krishna says in the verse 17. Yastvat Marati Revasyad Atma Truptascha Manavaha Atma Nyevacha Santushtaha Tasya Karyam Navidyate Yastu, one who, however, is Atmaratihi, Atma Truptaha, Atma Santushtaha. These three adjectives are used for this wise person. See, Lord Krishna takes the opportunity 
to describe the wise person or liberated person, Jivan Mukta, whenever he gets an opportunity. Second chapter, of course, with elaborate description of the Siddha Prajna. The third chapter of it is there. These two verses describe the Jivan Mukta, meaning the person who is liberated while living. But of course, this freedom is a subjective thing. There is no way for us to measure the inner satisfaction of freedom. Never. All of these say with reference to how he feels. Just in case Siddha Prajna also, Lord Krishna said, Prajahati Yada Kaman Sarvan Parthamanogatan Hey Arjuna, when a person becomes free from all the needs and demands, Atmanyavaja Santushta, one is totally satisfied with oneself. He is called Thita Pragna, that's the, 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 that's the outcome of the knowledge. <coughs> Which knowledge is the outcome of the Karma Yoga? <coughs> so, Yastu Atma Rati, what is Rati? Rati means reveling. Reveling in something that you like. So our mind very often revels into something that you enjoy. It's not there with you yet. Let us say that in India, typically, we have the festival, kite flying festival. It's January 14th, you know, in Gujarat and in Mumbai and many other places, kite flying. Yeah, Gujaratis are mainly this, you know, very fond of this. And the children, as we are growing up, that's the most exciting thing to do. You, you don't sleep for the whole night because at four o'clock people are already on their terraces, you know, on the roof and then doing this and you want to be part of that. So from, you're preparing for the thing for several days, you're reveling, you know, how that kite flying, how the joy will be, thinking about something that you enjoy, something that you love. So there is, an, there is a pleasure involved in thinking about something that you love. Ganesha Chaturthi means laddu or Modakam, as the case may be, you love this. So wait for Ganesha Chaturthi, it comes. Now then, that festival, the, all worship takes place in the evening and you get food only in the evening. For the whole day you think about that. Think about Laddu. And there's a pleasure in thinking, that's called Rati. Thinking about something that you love. That's called Rati. And then, evening comes, you're waiting for this puja to get over, you know. <clears throat> because children, the only interest we had in puja was prasad, that's all. I, I, I admit that. Every morning as my father would perform the puja, we had a special puja room. I'll be there almost towards the last 15 minutes, I'll be there. <laughs> that is why I remember, everything I remember, whatever father used to change, you know, in the last 15 minutes, I knew everything. <laughs> he had to look in the book, you know. But I, and waiting for prasad, and we also would give farmas, a special indent to our mother. Mom, don't cook, prepare that kind of prasad, I don't like this. Prepare, shut up, you're not supposed to look at this thing, you know. <laughs> so thinking about prasad itself is pleasurable. Getting it in a plate, imagine, wow, the joy rises several degrees. Let's go santosha. Santosha or the uh, satisfaction is what you get when you acquire something that you love. Thinking, acquiring, and then you put that laddu or modakam in your mouth. You are in ecstasy. You are enjoying the pleasure of the heaven. That is called trupti. So rati, tushti, trupti. Three levels of happiness. Priya, Moda, Pramoda, in, in, in Taitira Upanishad, these three levels of happiness are called Priya, Moda, Pramoda. The happiness or pleasure that comes in thinking about what you love, the increased pleasure that comes by possession of what you like, and the highest pleasure that comes by enjoying what you like. An ordinary human being is dependent upon various things for this kind of pleasure. What do they think? He thinks of video games, he thinks of the serial that he likes, 8.30 in the evening, you know, he waits for the whole day, thinking about that. Or some soap opera, something or the other. Rati, thinking about the person whom he loves, he or she, whatever. Thinking about some new 
dress or clothes that are coming, see a new car that he's going to get, mommy turns 17, you know, his dad has promised that if you have this kind of score in your school and this whatever, or high school graduate, you know, if you score this much, I'll give you this kind of a car. So, for whole year he's thinking about that car and imagining how he's behind the wheel and how, what excitement there is, what a thrill there will be. Rati. When he finishes high school diploma and he has been able to satisfy his father's uh, needs, then the car now, they go to see the cars and you know, and then finally gets it. Wow. And finally, when he's behind the wheel and driving at 75 miles an hour, <laughs> ecstasy. So three degrees of happiness. An ordinary person is dependent upon various objects of the world for all this level of happiness. Thinking about something I love, but different from myself. Getting something that I like, again different from myself. Enjoying what I like, again different from myself. And whenever we are dependent, when, when our happiness comes from a source other than ourselves, understand that it comes with its own price. You always have to pay the price when you get something. There's no free lunch, meaning that you cannot get happiness without you paying the price. In terms of exertion, in terms of hard work, in terms of acquiring what you want, and then separation of with that thing also gives you a you know, lot of unhappiness. Suppose something happens to that car, I don't want to imagine that, you know, but still, it will get heart attack. Nothing happens, if there is a scratch on that car, scratch on my heart. From morning three hours he keeps polishing his car. All his joy comes from anatma, non-self, things other than myself. That always involves dependence. It always involves uncertainty. It involves very often disappointment. Not only that, but now, this time I have this car. What when I graduate, undergrad, finish undergraduate? A superior car. What when I finish uh, graduate school? Even a better car. Because the other thing I, I know, that's okay. I, I had it. Now I, I want something different, something better, something more expensive. So mind always wants variety. It wants more and more. So getting the same quantum of happiness, you need more and more, understand? There is a law of diminishing return. A thing is then ultimately fails to give you that degree of satisfaction, you require more different variety. Of course you have to work for it, nothing comes free, in a lot of exertion. And what comes has to go away someday, even if that thing does not go, you lose your interest anyway, I have driven this car three years, then no, no, that's enough. In India they drive for thirty years. Recently somebody sold a scooter. Swamiji, this scooter is as old as me. This person is 42 years old. Imagine, you know, that scooter was with them. That must be a rare case, of course, but then. <laughs> 15, 20 year old car is, is okay. Of course, modern cars don't last that long anyway, so perhaps you may not have a car that is that old. But we easily get bored with things. I'm bored. Right away. I want something, I want change, I want variety. This is the path of dependence, path of bondage. On the other here is a wise person who revels in himself, Atmaratihi. He doesn't require anything to get satisfaction because he has discovered the total satisfaction with himself. Because self is of the nature of happiness. Even when we think happiness comes from something else, it only comes from ourselves. It's only a delusion to believe that my car gives me happiness. It gives me happiness. What do you mean it doesn't give me happiness? I was not, you know, I, I was not in a great mood until I had it. Once it came, I'm so happy. Looks like car has given me happiness. That's good. Sit in the car for the whole day. Be happy. No, no, that I can't do. Keep driving the car whole day. No, that I can't do. Then how do you say car gives you, if car is a source of happiness, then it should give you happiness all the time. Is it not so? Doesn't. Try for half an hour, one hour, two hours, longer, it's okay. That's still going to be a limit to anything. 
First slice of pizza, ecstasy. Second slice of pizza, some happiness. Third slice of pizza, okay. Fourth slice of pizza. Fifth slice of pizza, everything comes out. If something was a source of happiness, you consistently give you happiness, is not so? What it does is, momentarily it makes my mind free from that anxiety, from that craving, from that desire, I want a pizza, pizza, pizza. Swamiji, this Indian food, all the time. This person, this young boy came to our ashram in Ahmedabad, we thought we were feeding him well, but then, you know, every so often you have to go out, go to Pizza Hut and go to this and that and, you know, because brought up in United States and so he liked pasta and he likes rice and Indian food is... And so you need that. <clears throat> and thus, you... So you are craving for that. Swami, the Western palate, you know, is a different thing. So craves for certain kind. Eastern palates craves for different kind of food. So there's craving. When you get that food, the craving is momentarily satisfied. Your mind becomes free from craving. That is happiness. Happiness is not so much in satisfying the desire, it is becoming free from desire. Momentarily, mind becomes free from the burden of the craving or desire, and it feels a relief, and that's the happiness. <clears throat> so self is the only source of happiness. That's why the only right thing to do is to live a life by which you progressively derive happiness from your own self. <clears throat> Meaning, make your mind clearer and clearer, more and more transparent, and let the happiness which is yourself become more and more manifest. <clears throat> Just to Atma Ratihi, one who revels in himself, Atma Santushtaha, one who satisfaction with self, Truptaha, truly content with the self. This is just to contrast the wise person with another wise person, that's all, you know. The idea is that he is totally satisfied with himself. Because self is of nature of satisfaction. So he is a person who has a total self-acceptance. That's moksha, total self-acceptance. You remember what Swami said, if you are happy with yourself, you will find yourself being happy with everything else. If you are unhappy with yourself, you are not happy with anything else. The complaint I have about others is only because complaints about others generally arise from complaints about myself. Dissatisfaction with others arises from dissatisfaction with myself. Therefore, Vedanta teaches that if you want to find happiness, discover it from yourself. If you want love, love yourself. If you want to achieve something, achieve yourself. In loving myself, I love everything. In achieving myself, I achieve everything. So you want to achieve the whole universe? Simple, achieve yourself. You want to love, you want to possess the whole universe, possess yourself. Because the same satisfaction you would have as though you possessed everything. It doesn't matter then. Possessions don't matter because what you want through every endeavor is your own self. This is what you achieved. Tasya karyam na vidyate. This person has nothing to do now. Karya means what? Karya. That's a word. That yet pratyaya is there, which means something which has to be done. Karya means that which has to be done. For this wise person, there is a compulsion that he has to do something. He may as well do whatever he wants to do, that's a different thing. Not that a wise person does not do things. There is no pressure to do something. Karya means that which I am obliged to do. Sometimes driven to do because my own dissatisfaction drives me to do things. As Lord Krishna said in the fifth verse of this chapter that even for a moment nobody can sit quietly because of the inner discomfort. He has become totally free from the discomfort. And they were totally free from all demands, all needs, and therefore nothing needs to be done. Meaning that no, there is no such thing as I have to do this. He is free from all compulsions of doing it. The description of moksha. 
This verse describes a person who is mukta or liberated. <coughs> we'll continue tomorrow. Om Purnamadaf Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashakrutavande Bhagavanta Upunapunaha Ishvaro Guru Rathmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Lakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Namaha Hari Om